Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Welcome back to The Francisca Show, a Jewish coffeehouse podcast where we encourage fellow artists and entrepreneurs to collaborate and support each other while sharing their stories. I am Francisca, a singer, composer, music producer, coach, and also your host. Okay, so we'll get started here. Everyone, I would like to welcome you to The Francisca Show. This is episode 99. It will be available on the podcast. And today, the guest of the day is Miriam Sandler. And she'll tell us all about herself. But she's a performer, a singer, a dancer. Do you dance? I feel like you definitely dance. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely in my blood, you know, since I became from, there's a lot less dancing. But now with, I don't know, I feel the last couple of years I've been dancing more just for just the feeling and the the healing. And I think it's important for everyone to dance. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and the topic, the title for today's uh podcast episode because now we bring value to you we just we don't just talk about ourselves anymore it's how to be uninhibited on stage and how to go from boring to smashing so I know I know that Miriam you are the perfect person to talk about this you are the expert in 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 this space so without any further ado welcome to the show Miriam I'm so happy to finally have you I think it's been like two years we spoke about this at Shingle and Telus's wedding okay so maybe one year almost so welcome. It's great to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited to to be a part of your show. And I want to really congratulate you because you've been doing so much and you've just been providing all your audience with incredible content. And it's really, it's refreshing. I really, you're doing an amazing job. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. So let's get started right away and tell us a little bit about yourself um, how did you get started in the arts? And you already gave it away that you didn't grow up from. So share this journey with us. Okay, I'll give you a little um, abbreviated version because I want to kind of talk about the other stuff you mentioned, which I'm very excited to talk about. Um, basically, I, I've been a professional singer since I was 18 years old. Um, I wasn't raised from so for about 10 years, I performed as a background singer for many different recording artists, and we traveled all over the world. And I sang backgrounds. I danced also on tour. Um, we did a lot of TV, radio, um, you know, specials. We performed at the White House. We were in stadiums. It was pretty awesome, um, but really, like, not for me long term in terms of my mental health and my, you know, just my values and my my goals in life. So Baruch Hashem, I, I became from about, I, I don't know, it's been about 20 years, 25 years that I started my journey. And since then I've been performing for women. It's been really awesome and incredible, um, life-changing, um, experience to perform for women. I, I feel very honored and blessed. 
and uh, I have my original music that, you know, used to be actually secular songs that I wrote with like all the really, you know, amazing, great producers that I used to work with, with Gloria Estefan. And, you know, we did demos for Jennifer Lopez and Ricky Martin and Tony Braxton. And, you know, some of these songs were just sitting on a shelf and no one ever, you know, picked them up. So I decided to turn them into Shalom Bias songs and Snia songs and, you know, Achta songs. And so now I perform for women and I'm very excited actually to share, I guess, some of my tips slash secrets slash insights about how to, you know, be less inhibited on stage. I mean, I do teach quite a bit. I have taught quite a bit. I started teaching girls and women, you know, I guess about 20 years ago. And, um, you know, the world that I came from is pretty uninhibited. So um, to to kind of meet people. <laughs> to Let be me just a- stop you for a second. When yeah. we're talking about being uninhibited, for anyone listening out there who's completely confused by that, what does that can you mean? break it down? Yes. <laughs> does that mean well, not moving your hips when you're standing on stage? No. I mean, I think uninhibited mm-hmm. just means uh, just not feeling so self-conscious. You know, I feel like, you know, when a, a performer gets on stage, it's already such a big step into you know, putting yourself out there and you're really on stage. I mean, as far as I'm concerned, being looked at under a magnifying glass, you are sharing a piece of your neshama and a piece of your gift that, first of all, is exclusive to just women and girls, which is a real bracha. And and you're sharing a, a part of your, your essence. And so as a performer, just just by virtue of you performing, you you have to have a certain sense of being uninhibited because you're sharing that aspect of you. But I want to kind of, I want to bring it into a, just a whole, I want to ramp it up when it comes to being uninhibited because I don't know. I mean, just in general, I don't know if it's my personality. I don't know if it's my background. Maybe it's a combination of both, but um, I think that, that the more a performer um, just kind of gets more comfortable in her own skin with her own voice and with her own body. Um, I think that that work can bring a, a performer's um, a song or delivery of the song to a whole new level. And and so that's what I kind of wanted to share a little bit because I guess, you know, we we somehow are in a culture that's very inhibited. We're very inhibited. We're very, I don't know if it's sheltered. I don't know if it's very sensitive. We're very sensitive. And, and, and to a certain degree, all that stuff is great. But when you get the opportunity to get on stage and kind of let it all hang out, if I can even say that, um, I think that that makes the audience just really love you. And that's what you want. You want to convey that passion and the icker message, which is why Hashem has put you on that stage. So if we talk about, you know, be, becoming or kind of working on that inhibition a little bit, um, you could, 
you could just start like really doing wacky facial movements in the mirror just to kind of get yourself used to seeing yourself look a little differently, you know? And I think also your body has to just become a part of your performance. It's not just your voice. It's not just your face. It's your whole body is becoming that song. And so that's what I think is really exciting um, to share with your audience because, you know, your audience wants to feel moved. They want to feel what you're feeling. They want to hear what you have to say. And when you become that message completely, 100%. I'm not holding anything back. I'm not giving you 20%. I'm not giving you 50%. I'm not giving you 74%. I'm giving you 100,000% of that message, of that song, and of myself. So, so I love what you're sense? saying. Yeah, you're making <laughs> sense. And if I was sitting in a drama class or in a music class, this would totally make sense to me. Mm-hmm. But if I'm a from young girl who is a little shy, a little uncomfortable, and here we're always taught to sort of be inhibited, or at least that's the in-between lines expectations, mm-hmm. how sort of when it's drama time or production time or performance time, suddenly there's a switch that could go off and suddenly you could be that outgoing person. I remember um, in Moscow when we had uh, weddings, and I remember, I, I'm for, for sure I mentioned this on the podcast before, maybe I didn't. My sister and I were like the designated dancers of the wedding because it wasn't so <laughs> common to have Jewish dancing. And for anyone who becomes from the, the fact that it's all separated to begin with is already awkward. So my sister and I were, you know, the koach, the energy of the wedding, and sometimes it'd be 20, 30 women, not majorly as um, people on, you know, in Israel or the States expect weddings to be. So, and and it would be part of the Simchas Chasen and Kala, part of, you know, the mitzvah, to go out there and do whatever, <laughs> you're not ashamed, oh, yeah. you know, even if you flop <laughs> and fall and do whatever, the most embarrassing thing. And coming to the States, I remember when you have a crowd of, you know, a few hundred women suddenly not being comfortable to do that. And the only way I'd be able to dance like that again is if my sister was there, you know, challenging me to that. Um, and, and me, and that was me, someone who grew up in Moscow already with not, you know, the firmest environment, the, the, the kids and the, my friends around me didn't all come from, from homes. I didn't. So, and that was so ingrained into me. It wasn't like a switch I could just flip on and off. What do you tell someone who's never experienced really letting it go to that extent? How does that work? It's a good question. I'm I'm saying in theory, it makes sense. But how do you do that? People are watching you. You're on stage. Yeah. Well, there's a couple things you can do. First of all, in terms of just, you know, um, you know, your your involvement with bringing Hashem into the picture. I always, always, always daven before any of my performances that really, you know, it's all for Hashem. So, you know, I guess on a, on a Hashkafic level, on a philosophical level, um, I think that I'm very connected to the fact that I have a gift that Hashem gave me 
And um, I am here to glorify his name. And that's why I have a gift. And so when you take what I do is I take myself and I and I speak to my my students about this when they're prepare, when they're preparing for performances and and my campers, I have a performing arts camp, Camp Habima. And this is this is, you know, we've been going already for five, six years. Um, you know, it's all about taking yourself out of the picture and being used as a as a vessel to spread the messages Hashem wants you to spread. So I guess, you know, on a deeper level, what I can share is that, you know, I used to be as a secular artist, so consumed and, and overwhelmed and obsessed with what other people thought of me, how I looked, you know, how talented I was for their approval you know, just to get ahead in terms of the music business, you know, getting in front of the right music producers, getting, you know, attention, getting their attention, having people hear my or seeing me perform, hear my songs. I was so, you know, that was how that's how secular life is in the music industry. So when I became from, I became so liberated of that enslavement. So now, you know, when I perform, I don't care. I I, at the beginning, I remember when like, you know, maybe not everyone liked my music. I was like, so like, wow, somebody won't, doesn't like my music. So I was like hurt by that. But then I realized, you know, like I'm doing this for Hashem and whoever, there's an audience out there for me. There's an audience out there for every performer. So it's okay if you don't like my music or my style or my singing or whatever, because there'll be other people that do, and I don't need I don't need that approval. I'm doing this l'shem shemaim for Hashem, so that's one aspect of it. That's the work on a hashkafic level that I think a person needs to kind of swallow to get to the other level, to to get to the other place of feeling uninhibited. I'm doing this for Hashem, and I want to give Hashem everything I've got, right? Because all of this is because of Hashem. I would never, if, if Hashem didn't pick me to put this voice in me and to give me rhythm and to give me the passion and the emotion and the delivery that I have, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have it. So it's, it's for Hashem. That's number one. That's on the Hashkafic level, on the mental level. On the practical level, I think that it does require uh, just practicing getting in front of a mirror and raising your voice and doing things that are extreme, like, like movement that's extreme and, and practicing making that a, a part of who you are. Movement, feeling, delivery, uh, making different sounds and not being worried about about how perfect it, it sounds. You have to experiment. You have to take your instrument and bring it to the maximum place that it can go, whether it be uh, vocally, whether it be visually, whether it be lyrically as, as, a, as a songwriter, as a lyricist. Um, I think that, you know, people should just try to you know, take some chances and you'd be surprised. Like 
I feel like just being sincere and genuine um, has has a lot to has a lot of value and a lot of weight. I think audience members really love when they see that that um, that song being delivered from your heart. And and so you know I don't know if that makes any sense, but I'm just sharing a little bit of what what I do and what what works for me. Um, I don't know. I'll tell you something else. I'm Cuban. So (laughs) I don't know if it's like a cultural thing. Like I think there are certain cultures that are maybe more animated and more fiery and less inhibited. And I tell you, Cubans are definitely less inhibited people. (laughs) Like we love to dance. We'll tell you how we feel you know, and so I maybe have a little bit of that also going on um, when I perform, but um, it's work. It takes work, it takes practice. It takes practice. So on the flip side, if you have somebody who whose brand or whose style is to sing like, let's say Adele, her voice literally speaks for herself and sells itself. She, all she has to do is show up. Stand on right. stage in her beautiful, you know, costume. She could be yeah. fully clothed, unlike other pop singers who need to be fully undressed. To get. So nice, right? Um, she does not have to move or have any background dancers or fireworks going on. The voice just does it all. So right. for somebody whose style or whose brand is more like that, how do how how would you tell them to be more uninhibited? if they're not trying to move or over-exaggerate their movement? That's a good question. I mean, I, I know, you know, for sure that there are performers that are much more kind of chill and subdued. Um, I think that still in the delivery, and I tell my students all the time, make sure you're enunciating your words. Um, I think that sometimes a lot of, the message gets lost in the delivery. And so I work a lot with my students and I'm really into just um, over-enunciating consonants, really making it clear, and also uh, just singing more rhythmically because that gives you kind of the passion. It gives you the, the, the delivery, the sincerity but you could still be more like subdued and more contained. And, um, you know, I, I think, I think that'd do it. I, I think that in general, it's important for a performer to, to be connected to the message that she's wanting to convey. And so if there's really, um, a connection there with the lyrics, the message, and you're passionate about it, I think it's going to come out in your, in your delivery. And I love that. I just want to add, I forgot to add that before. I don't know if I said sister or sisters when I was talking about dancing, but I have two sisters and we danced all three of us. And I know my sister's <laughs> like listening to my episode. And if I misrepresented Uh-oh. history, I'm going to get in trouble. So yeah. I also have two sisters. <laughs> so I want to jump ahead. And I I feel like we were Yotze. We, we hit the mark on discussing inhibition I think there's a lot more, uh, a lot, a lot of other things we could talk about during this discussion. And 
The first question I'll pose th this way. Uh, I know women who become from and reject the secular music world, well, along with everything else, would you say there's anything you miss or anything positive about that that doesn't exist in the Jewish world? I know it, it, it's a coping me mechanism sometimes to just say everything here is better, even if it's harder, because it has to be. What, what, what do we not have done or down pat in the Jewish world that we could actually learn? And I'm sure there are plenty of things, but as somebody who has transitioned or rejected the secular world, what, what is lacking? It's a good question. I didn't think you'd be answer, asking me something like that. <laughs> well, I don't, I don't like to just talk about, you know, flowers on the show. That, we like that, to get wasn't, that wasn't supposed to be discussed today. <laughs> that wasn't on the agenda. Well, it wasn't. We have, <laughs> how are you going to answer I mean, that? If you'd like to take the fifth, you, you're welcome to. You know, I think that... It's a tricky, it's a tricky answer. It's a tricky answer. I have to kind of think about it a little bit more. Um, um, there is, you know, a certain level of, I, I, I feel like it's very difficult for me to answer that question because I don't want it to sound like uh, I'm saying that the Jewish musicians or the Jewish in music industry is not as good as the secular industry. I don't want anyone to think that. You're allowed to say that. You're allowed to say that. I'm, I'm well, asking you for the truth. <laughs> well, as an expert, what I will say, yes. what I will say is that as a trained musician, I went to University of Miami and I studied um, jazz vocal performance with really like the top, top, you know, musicians in the world. And I also performed with the top musicians in the world. And I, I will say that I do miss that level of musicianship um, and that ease, the ease of what it was like to get together with like the best musicians in town and to be able to jam and to be able to know that you're dealing with a very high level of talent. Um, and so that I do miss. Um, you know, I seldomly work, unfortunately, with live musicians. Um, and I actually was told, um, by a Rav that it was fine to, uh, get, um, you know, put together a male band and perform with them. I was actually told that by a Rav. It never happened just because on a practical level, you know, I started my family and, you know, things have just evolved. Um, but I, I do... I do um, miss that that high level of musicianship, um, but I trade it in gladly for all that I have received in return. And uh, I look back and I I wave smiling because there's the 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 amount of um, the amount of happiness and shalom that I've received from being a from woman and being in the Jewish market is, is you, you can't even compare, you know, and unfortunately the lifestyle kind of ruined it for me. And so I, 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 I started fresh. 
So, and you know. if we flip the question on the other side, what would you say is extremely unique to our industry of the Kalisha space that is totally missing there? I think you'll well, like this question more. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, it's more up my up my alley. I mean, there's a lot. I would say, first of all, more than anything else, I love the fact that um, in in a Jewish female vocalist market, there is not that cutthroat competition where you're kind of backstabbing the next one just to get ahead. And unfortunately, that's really how it is, I think, in in the secular market. Um, I remember when I first started performing for women, I just felt like this total love and sisterhood and acceptance and this feeling that I never had of just achtas, like we are one, we are Jewish sisters. And it was really, it's really magical, really life-changing. Um, and aside from that, the enormous amount of self-respect that, that I have felt um, performing for women and, you know, not performing for men. It's, it's a completely different energy when you're, when you're performing in front of men. And it's, it's a real bracha that I don't have to do that. You know, <laughs> I, I agree. The word energy, I would say knocks it out of the park. Like it hits it in the nail on the head. Um, but just to speak to your, uh, to the part where it's not so competitive. First of all, I think it will definitely get more competitive. I think there's a lot more room to grow. This is a new space. And secondly, what what are we competing for already? I mean, the max, the biggest gig out there maybe is $2,000. <laughs> I mean, the, the stakes are so low, it's not worth stabbing anyone in the back, especially if your kids are probably going to be eligible to be read shaduchim to each other, you know, because <laughs> of our small knit community community so i think um the stakes are low and that's what rids of that competition cutthroat mm -hmm. hello yeah. um i'd like to move on to a topic i like to bring up every time and if you'd listen if you have listened to the podcast you probably know this is coming but what's the financial end of of your art is this a total hobby for you in terms of not expecting uh, income that supports you or do you treat this more as a business where you invest and I'm sure you have I mean I know you have definitely in education and financial resources but how do you treat this in your life this has always been um, my business um, I think that it's it's very hard to make any kind of real income, unfortunately, out of this. Um, and I hope that people like you and other people in the industry, like my friend Leslie Goldruder, who started Here Happenings, um, I think that both of you are trying to instill a different type of, a, of, a, of an awareness in the fact that, you know, you've got Jewish female performers that are really super talented, have a lot to offer, and they're just not making as much as the guys, as, as the men, you know? And so um, I think there's a lot of room there to grow. 
Um, and I think that if we value ourselves, um, if we all kind of raise the, the bar when it comes to charging people, um, then slowly that mentality of doing freebies um, will change. I think that it's very important for for performers to um, value their work and give it a value, and then the audience will value it. Um, but we all kind of have to band together, and That's true. and you know we've got to do it. You know we've got to band together. Let me ask you this: so your primary business focus is in the performing, or is it in teaching? For me, I would say it's much more in the performing. Um, I like to teach and I have taught and I've done it for many years. But I think my my strength is in and and my passion is in my actual performing. Um, so but I love to teach. I love my cutie, my cutie students and my campers and 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 being a teacher, which is something I, I didn't really plan on doing has really given me a lot of satisfaction and fulfillment um, because it's like a whole other aspect of myself that I never even knew that I had until I jumped right in and I just did it. <laughs> and I, I really did it, you should know, for my daughters. I did it, that's how I started really teaching. I, I wanted to give my daughters like a sense of confidence and poise and um, and fun. I wanted to give them some a fun extracurricular activity to do and I just felt like, I've got so much I could I could give over to them just, you know, f with my own background and training. So that's how we started my camp and, you know, but but, you know, there's nothing like being on stage performing. I mean, there's nothing like it. It's it's kind of two separate dimensions, you know. When I teach it's it's also fun. I mean, we have a lot of fun here in my in my studio and It's a different. It's a different energy. I, I like them both, but if I had to choose, I would say I'm definitely a performer. <laughs> I, I hear you. And in uh, the coaching space I've been in with other musicians, um, what I'm hearing more and more of is the money is in the teaching more than the performing. The performing is the hobby slash luxury end of it, because if you look at the secular world, um, the top of the top are making money from performing and that really um, that also sort of occupies or transforms their lifestyle so let, that wouldn't allow for Shabbos or time with the family on the other hand um, most people who do not become the top of the charts performers and now with COVID everything changed They are hustling from, you know, bar to bar, event to event, and they also get paid much less. Meaning, I think the conversation where we started with the from women sort of discussing a minimum rate and no one should go under that. I know I started the conversation, but I get slowed down by a lot of other projects and ideas. I, I don't know if it's a, a realistic expectation for every performer for Uh, any type of event for any type of venue, I mean, there is a difference if a venue has 10 people versus a venue having 10,000 people, and that should affect the price. Um, also, what's considered more popular, and again, that represents in the audience usually, uh, and the demand. 
So I think the expectation of charging a lot of money is not only an education thing, but I'm not sure it's a realistic expectation now that I'm doing more research into this. Do you have anything to respond to this? Um, you know, I do definitely take into consideration if I'm doing, you know, a, a gig in a private home where there's going to be 10 to 20 women, or if I'm going to be in a ballroom with, you know, over 300 women, um, you know, it, it, it's definitely different. Um, but I think, you know, I think it's very important to kind of that, and I'm, and I'm working on this all the time. This is not something I've got down, you know, um, but I'm working on really um, valuing what I have to give as a performer and and making sure that it's valued on the outside. Um, but it's not easy. It's not easy. And, uh, you know, I'm praying little by little that that it does change, that you do see, you know, people, organizations valuing what women, female performers have to give, which is very unique and very exclusive. And, you know, uh, you know, we we have to stick together. We got to stick together. Maybe we should have like a Zoom call or or some sort of a, you know, gathering and try to come up with some numbers. And I don't know, I mean, kind of, I don't know. It's something to discuss, no? It's definitely something to, to discuss. I think there should be this conversation. Um, I also think a lot of the real change happens on an individual basis. And I do that with my clients or with people I work with one-on-one. -on -one. Mm -hmm. So... And I think as each person steps up for themselves, the industry is going to change. God and really. instead of it happening as a peer pressure thing, it has to really be internalized and happen on the inside level, come from the inside out. Um, so you mentioned this before, and I'd love to just go a little deeper into this. You say that the training or the level of musicians is much more professional, much higher in the secular world, and it makes sense. First of all, it's a much bigger of a market, a lot more competition, which makes the best of the best so much more best <laughs> because we're collecting them from such a bigger pool. So my question to you is, as a Balchuva, did you or would you send your daughters to formal non-Jewish musical education so they can get that proper training that as much as we are bringing it into the Jewish world in a kosher way, the training outside is just on a different level to raise the level? I mean, there could be a lot of intentions here. But is that something you would do or do you feel like that's something you rejected and you want to stay away from and not expose no, your daughters to? I've actually spoken to other moms that have specifically chosen to have their children trained by non-Jewish musicians um, for that reason. Um, yeah, I, I don't have a problem with that. I mean, I think that... I always, you know, if I see that there's someone that they can go to that I, I'm very 
you know, I feel very good about that is Jewish, then I would do that. But it's not like I would be afraid of them dabbling into that like non-Jewish world in terms of instruction, in terms of instruction. So I'm not talking about one-on-one because I think there are very high-level educators in the from world. Mm-hmm. I was talking more of a proper program like a school. No, that I wouldn't consider. I wouldn't consider it because it's too, the, unfortunately, the music industry revolves so much, and education revolves so much around lifestyle. lifestyle if, if I had known, okay, as a high school student, okay, what being a musician was going to be in terms of my lifestyle, I don't know if I would have picked it. Because okay, so for being, anyone listening here, what does that mean? Being a musician is not like going to college and, and training yourself as a, as a performing artist is not like getting a degree in accounting or dental, you know, dentistry or anything, you know, I don't know, interior decoration. It's, you know, your, it's the lifestyle is kind of intertwined with the art. And that's something that I didn't realize the extent of how it was intertwined. And if I had known, I I may not have pursued it. I may not have pursued it. It's not something that's even discussed, but the lifestyle is what it is. You can't, you can't do one without the other in, in a secular environment. You're performing in clubs, you're performing in a mixed audience, you're in a party atmosphere, you're expected to look a certain way. It's, the, it's, it's too intertwined. The music industry is too intertwined with the, with the art, the, 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 the venue. It's just So you're, you're talking more of the social element, not necessarily yeah. the fact that um, it's a, you know, practicing eight hours a day doesn't go along with, or continuing that for mm-hmm. a long period of time doesn't go along with supporting a family or bearing a family. So I just wanted to clarify that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think that really if anyone is going into being, you know, becoming a professional musician, you definitely have to have a backup in terms of Parnassa. <laughs> It's not well, something not you can rely on. You can't rely on it. Performing. Performing, I would say, still um, has that until someone can build a brand big enough that could support either virtual or in-person events that could actually pay for themselves and pay you know, the performers. But until then, musicians could definitely find a way, and that's what I specialize in now. That's my new thing, my latest thing. Um it's needed and building businesses that support that performing brand and that allow for that to prosper. Well, let's uh, wrap up here. I'd like for you to give me, you know, one thing you wish you knew and you could go back to any part of your life. It could be when you were already from or before then one thing, you know, now you wish you knew back then, what would it be? Back, back then, before I became from, or any time. Yeah, time machine. Mm. Go wherever you want. Well, 
I, I, to be honest, you know, cause that's what we are now. <laughs> I think that, you know, if I could go back in time, I would say that I wish that I had kind of a different skill that, um, was, um, I guess, how can I say to a certain degree, I think that it's very important to have the stability of earning a Parnassa. I think being a performing artist is very unstable. It's very like when it rains, it pours. And, you know, sometimes you have three gigs in one week or more, and then you won't have anything for seven weeks, you know, depending on the Jewish calendar. So, you know, I kind of wish that I had, I had developed a different skill. Um, but now, believe it or not, <laughs> because I've been forced to, um, you know, I am starting my new headwear line and I'm getting into, you know, that I'm going to be launching, God willing, my new Tichel headwear line shortly. It's called Forever Crowned and I'm very excited about it because it's something I'm passionate about and I'm very creative. So I'm doing that. And, um, I'm also a, a decorator. I've become a, a decorator. So they're all kind of creative skills that I have. And I'm just kind of channeling them, I guess, in different areas because it's kind of nice to be able to do different things and hopefully make a Parnassa doing something that I enjoy. Um, but I guess, you know, if I had to go back in time, that would be maybe the one thing I would say. Um, I wish I had kind of branched out a little bit more and gotten something that would provide me with a little bit more stability. Yeah, I hear that. It's definitely there. Um, it's not something that you learn about in art school or music school. So, yeah. yeah, they don't teach that to you. But I think it's a lot of fun um, just connecting with audiences now on this virtual level, which is really cool because, you know, now you're able to access people that are in Europe and South Africa and South America and Canada. And it's really cool to be able to, you know, have a, a, con a concert online and all these women can see you now. It's it's really a new reality, a new, a new, you know, norm, I think. Yeah, I think it's really fun and cool. And we don't know yet where this is going to go. This is the beginning of something really big and for a lot of potential. Um, yeah, my last question was going to be what's next for you. But I think you went straight into it and told us about <laughs> your new business and your interior design, your interior decorating. Um, it was so, so fun having you on the show, Miriam. I feel like we learned so many things and so many fun and useful things. And I feel like I got to know you a little better. I feel like I knew you, but, you know, <laughs> each conversation gets you a little bit um, closer. So thank, thank you so you. much for coming on. Thank you. It's really, it's a lot of fun. And I hope we can continue doing this and really supporting one another in this, you know, music industry business. I think it's, it's really awesome what you're doing, just giving different artists the platform to be able to share and express and, 
and learn from one another. So I want to wish you much Hatzlacha with everything you're doing with your clients. I think that that what you're trying to instill in your clients, that value, that 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 drive to make the business succeed is something that's very needed. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for watching, everyone. This is going to be available on the Francisca Show podcast shortly. shortly. And yeah, and if you want to reach out and book Miriam, they can reach you how? Please, msandler at gmail is the best way to reach me. M-S-A-N-D-L-E-R at gmail. And if you have any questions, I'd also love feedback on anything that I've said today. I really like to hear from my fans and um, I look forward to, to connecting. Thank awesome. you. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening until the very end. This was the 99th episode on The Francisco Show and I'm so excited for next week's episode, the 100th episode on this podcast. It's not a surprise anymore. I'm going to self-interview myself, and as funny as that sounds, I actually heard somebody else do it, and I thought it was a great idea. I think we're going to build on the stuff we talked about in the 50th episode when Shama Kalabach interviewed me. There are so many things I'd love to share with you that I have learned over the last 50 episodes, over the last 100 episodes. And I cannot wait to share this with you. I hope you are as excited as I am. And I'll see you next week. One more thing. If you haven't yet, check out my new release called Ke'i It's available on iTunes, Google Music, and wherever else you get your music. And a video's almost ready. It's going to drop next week as well. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.